To stay on top in business, stay on top of your technology with the new Business Desk podcast, the business of tech. Listen on iHeartRadio or wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to the Sports Talk Podcast with Darcy Waldegrave from Newstalk ZB. And it gives me great pleasure to welcome to Sports Talk, Sarah Gregorius, one-time football fern, when I say one-times, try a hundred-time football fern who played across three World Cups. She now works for FIFA Pro, her direct role is the Director of Global Policy and Strategic Relations, and she finds herself back home from her base in Amsterdam to watch the Women's World Cup. And you must be loving this, Sarah. Welcome back to New Zealand and welcome to the programme. Thanks so much, Darcy. Always a pleasure. With the most enthusiastic intro I could ever ask for. Oh, you've got to be enthusiastic, you know. You've got to get in. Because it's a time to be enthusiastic. This, uh, Who would have thought, when you started playing this game, who ever, ever thought that there would be a Women's World Cup of such magnitude? And here in New Zealand, it's beyond people's dreams, I think. Yeah, it is. It certainly would have been beyond my dreams when I started playing a very, very long time ago now. And I was asked this question yesterday about what you would say to your younger self. And I would say to her, I'd be like, guess what's going to happen in 2023? And I think she would like probably lose the plot because the amount of visibility, the quality of the games, like the hype, the players, like just where the game is at these days is just a million miles from where it was. I'm going to age myself terribly here, <laughs> 25, 30 years ago. It's kind of dragged itself up, hasn't it? Almost self-fulfilling, if you will. People never thought that you know, professional women's football would amount to anything, but it's been given the stage, it's been given the ability to do that, and by itself it's dragged itself up to the stage it's at now, which is enormous. Yeah, and it, it's something that we say a lot at work. Like It's happened in spite of how players and the sport has been treated instead of because of it. Yeah. So you're totally right. It's it's dragged itself up from the ashes, so to speak. Or, you know, in countries like the UK where it's banned, like women were banned from playing for a long time. And then last year, the, the England team wins the Euro. So it is a story of resilience and courage. And I think the players put the game on their back. Generations have done it for so long. And I think tournaments like the Women's World Cup and with how big this one is I like where you get to not only appreciate the moment but I think reflect on everything that's happened to get us to this point and like I say I think it's in spite of a lot of things and hopefully in the future it's going to be because of positive investment and because of all of the attention and, and change that people are deliberately putting in place instead of maybe holding the game back. And I think it reverberates right the way through women's sport, full stop, doesn't it? Globally, if football can have the success and do that, why can't other sports You're an example that it can be done? Yeah, and I hope that that is the case, that this is like a bit of a turning point and new precedents are being set and that you can have these gigantic tournaments. I mean, people are very critical of the fact that we've gone from 24 teams in 2019 to 32 teams in 2023, but we haven't seen any blowout games. We've seen unbelievably tense, exciting games. We've seen goals from debutantes, wins from debutantes, unfortunately, against New Zealand. <laughs> but those types of like incredible stories which show that the talent and the depth is out there, we just need to give the platform for the players to perform. How much further can this go? It's, it's reached a wonderful stage right now, but you never say never. There's always progress to be made in, in any sport. So where is it here for, for women's football, do you believe, Sarah? Like I think the international game will keep growing and it's been so central to the visibility of the sport overall. Like it's really taken World Cups to provide like an impetus or, and an injection of, of visibility, of attention that has really sort of propelled the game forward. But 
it doesn't get consistently applied in professional women's club football. So I think for me, that has to be the legacy from this tournament is we just need more professional football in more places. There needs to be more employment markets for players so that in between World Cups, they're in stable jobs with consistent income so that they can focus on playing football because some of the players coming into this tournament will be amateur or semi-professional. Imagine if we gave them like the opportunity to fully focus on their sport. The game will go will, like skip ahead even even more. So I'm hoping that off the back of this, there'll be you know another boom in professional club football so we can just provide more jobs to more players because we have a, a supply and a demand issue. There's a lot of talent, but not enough places for them to go and play professional football. So what has to happen from all of the different associations globally to ensure this? I mean, I suppose we could look to our own backyard first in New Zealand, what New Zealand football has to do. They've been pretty proactive in that space, though, and around professionalism, but can, can the rest of the world follow suit? Is there, uh, is there a magic wand? What actually has to happen to, to get to that stage, Sarah? Well, I mean, I could spend a long time talking to you about this <laughs> without getting too geeky, but like, if you look at the Premier League, for example, on the men's side and the Bundesliga and those types of leagues for men, the really big ones, they are run by professional competition organisers. So the Premier League is a standalone organisation that just exists to promote, exploit the men's Premier League, its own competition. In women's football, that's not always the case. So a lot of the leagues where there is professional football or at least professional obligations on the players are run by the federations, so by the member associations like New Zealand Football. So I think it goes back to, and this is not a sexy topic to talk about at all, <laughs> but it goes back to it goes back to football governance and who's running the game and who's running the competitions, and are those organisations professional enough themselves to be running like a fully fledged professional league the way that the Premier League is run? So for me, I think the next step is really looking at the governance space for some of those leagues. In France, in Germany, for example, they're run by the Federation. They're not run by standalone competition organisers. So for me, I think that's the next step because then you're, you're in a position where it's really treated as a business and the business wants to make money and it wants to, to be competitive and it wants to have the best players in the world winning big trophies and having stadiums full of people. So for me, it's, it's about who runs the leagues and are they in a position to fully commercialise and exploit them. So that's possible? This is not just a pipe dream? This is a realistic thought for process? It is. It's very much realistic. And for me, the best example is the NWSL in the United States where Ali Riley plays and Katie Bowen. So that used to be run by US Soccer. And now it's run by the NWSL as a standalone entity. And it just exists to run the NWSL. And that's why you have teams like Angel City able to come in. You have new investment opportunities like private equity money and all of that stuff like all of that money wanting to come into the game and build clubs and build the league and it's self-governed and it just exists for existing sake it is there to be a football league and I think it, that league in particular has gone from strength to strength and is now very very stable and provides a lot of great opportunities for players so I don't think it's a pipe dream but it's easy to talk, to talk about on a on a radio station. I'm not obviously the person that can go go out and do this sort of thing, but I think there are really positive examples of of what can happen, and it's happened in some parts of the world already, and I, I hope it happens in more places. Sarah Gregorius joins us, former football fern, and we're talking about the game. We'll, we'll go to the actual World Cup itself shortly, but I'm still really interested, even though you think it's a bit geeky in this subject. Is the market in New Zealand big enough? Is the population big enough, though, to 
to sustain and keep a woman's only situation going, i.e. to separate out from the auspices of, of New Zealand football? Is it, is it possible with only 5 million people, do you think? I don't want to be overly negative, but, like, I don't actually think so. And it, it kind of, like, kills me a little bit to say this, but I think New Zealand is doing as well as it can with what it has. And I, and I say this across a number of sports, the fact that it's able to sustain professional women's sport at all be it netball or rugby or rugby league or or whatever it may be, is actually quite phenomenal because I think similar population sizes will not have those types of opportunities for certainly for for female athletes, but even in in men's and women's sports. So I think New Zealand is already doing a lot in the sporting space. I'm just not really sure it can sustain, for example, like a professional women's league. But I think it can be very, very smart with its investment and make very clear decisions on what success looks like and then just funnel the investment into those areas. And one of those areas could and maybe should be the football fans, which have shown us at this World Cup that they kind of have the world at their feet at the moment. If they can get consistent funding and a consistent model for success and consistent investment over the next four years, by the time we reach the next World Cup in 2027, they could potentially be a real contender. What about this time around? They had that amazing result up against the Vikings, sorry, Norway. That blew everybody <laughs> away. Uh, then they lost to the Philippines, not ideal. They've got a chance to even maybe top their group if they can roll the Swiss on Sunday. Is that realistic, tracking the way they've developed and what they've done so far in this World Cup? It's been a pretty underwhelming build-up under Yitka Klimkova. I don't think you can deny that. They sparked in that first game. Have they got the football power? Have they got got the skills have they got the game plan can they actually take this further do you think Sarah I I think they can I think there was enough in the first game for their and against like a European team that's very well organized that has talented players which is what Switzerland is they did enough they struggled against I suppose the spontaneity of the Philippines team but I think we saw enough at Eden Park in the first match to be confident about the third one and I think it's just (laughs) it's quite typically Kiwi to make the hard game seem easy and the easy game seem hard. Uh, So I'm hoping that they take a bit more of game one into game three. I I think the talent is there and and now the expectation is, and I was talking about this with someone today, in 2019 at the last Women's World Cup, we, like the Ferns, had unbelievable results going into the tournament. We were beating Mexico, we were beating England. We got to the tournament and like couldn't pull it together. It's been almost the opposite for 2023. So, And these are the games that everyone will remember. So I'm really confident that they can do what they need to do on the weekend um, as long as they keep it calm, stick to stick to the game plan, and I think put those chances away. I, I don't think, if they play like they did in game one, I don't think Switzerland can live with them. And let's wrap things up here, Sarah, and so good to speak with you again with favouritism across the entire tournament. You'd think that the USA, with the record they've had of recent times, should be able to run right the way through, but there's a lot more stern opposition out there. Look, we saw that up against the Netherlands, 1-1. This is not theirs to lose necessarily, is it? There's a lot of really good teams out there. Who do you like? Well, I I really liked the game that the Netherlands played. Thought they were really impressive, and I was not kind of expecting them to be that competitive. I think for me, it's it's yeah, it's Germany looking good. I think England will do what they need to do when when they get the chance to do it, and I think you can probably count on seeing the US, Spain, Germany, and England in and around the semi-finals and finals. 
Great to have you back on board again, Sarah Gregorius. The pleasure has been ours. You enjoy yourself here back at home before we're going to go back to the stifling heat of mainland Europe. Well done. <laughs> Thanks so much, Darcy. For more from Sports Talk, listen live to News Talk ZB from 7 p.m. weekdays or follow the podcast on iHeartRadio. If you enjoyed this podcast, you will love our New Zealand Herald podcast, The Little Things, hosted by me, Francesca Rudkin, and my good friend, Louise Airy. We focus on all the little things that you can do to make a positive impact on your life and to cut through the confusion from the health and wellness industry. Join us every Saturday to hear from the experts for all the tips and advice you need. Just search The Little Things on iHeartRadio or wherever you get your podcasts.